turn in your Bible with me, please, and look with me at the book of Judges, chapter 9, and we continue our studies there. Chapter 9 and verse 30, history of the judges of Israel and the spiritual lessons that are ours from those records. Beginning at verse 30 this morning and reading only through verse 41 for the text for our message. Verse 30, And when Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaul, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled. And he sent messengers unto Abimelech privily, saying, Behold, Gaul, the son of Ebed, and the, his brethren become to Shechem, and behold, they fortify the city against thee. Now therefore, up by night, thou and the people that is with thee, and lie in wait in the field. And it shall be that in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, thou shalt rise early and set upon the city. And behold, when he and the people that is with him come out against thee, then mayest thou do to them as thou shalt find occasion. And Abimelech rose up and all the people that were with him by night and they laid wait against Shechem in four companies. And Gaul, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entering of the gate of the city. And Abimelech rose up and the people that were with him from lying in wait. And when Gaul saw the people, he said to Zebul, Behold, there come people down from the top of the mountains. And Zebul said unto him, Thou seest the shadow of the mountains as if they were men. Gaul spake again and said, See, there come people down from the middle of the land, and another company come along the plain Maonium. Then said Zebul unto him, Where is now thy mouth? Wherewith thou saidest, Who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Is not this the people that thou didst despise? Go out, I pray now, and fight with them. And God went out before the men of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him, and many were overthrown and wounded, even unto the entering of the gate. And Abimelech dwelt at Aruma, and Zebul thrust out Gaul his, and his brethren, that they should not dwell in Shechem. Turn a moment to look at that passage. If you would turn with me back again in your hymn book number 478 and stand with me please as we sing together number 478. Mm -hmm. 
Lord, how secure my conscience was and felt no inward dread. I was alive without the law and thought my sins were my hopes of heaven were firm and bright, but since the precept came with such convincing power and light, I find how vile I am. My guilt appeared but small before, till I with terror saw how Is thine eternal law? Then felt my soul the heavy load. My sins revived again. I had provoked a and all my hopes were slain. My God, I cried with every breath, exert thy power to save. Oh, break the of sin and death, and thus redeem the slave. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. Where is your mouth? We've come together again this morning to the further pursuit of our study in this text, Judges chapter 9. Just to bring us to our place in this text, I'd like to just step back a moment and remind us of our context. It's always important, I believe, for a preacher of the scriptures to bring his text to its context. You'll remember that the tribe of Shechem, in this record we've read already in days gone by, the tribe of Shechem has fallen away from their covenant 
with Jehovah their God. They've fallen fast and fallen hard into the snare of idolatry again. They've cast off the yoke of their loyalty which they had committed to Jehovah, their covenant God. Abimelech, that vile half-breed Canaanite, has rallied the men of Shechem and raised up helpers, you remember, to murder all of Gideon's rightful sons. Seventy rightful heirs of Gideon murdered at the hands of Abimelech, all except one that escaped, Jotham. This one son, Jotham, has sent out in verse 7 through 21 that we study, sent by the Holy Spirit of our God to castigate their profligate apostate hearts with this glorious fable that we read and studied, that wonderful fable which occupied the theme of one whole sermon several weeks ago. In the conclusion of that heaven-sent tale, he prophesies in verse 20, quote, Let fire come down from Abimelech and devour the men of Shechem. And let fire come out from the men of Shechem and devour Abimelech. And with those concluding words, we read in the scripture here, he ran away, fled, and went. And I talked to you about those three different expressions used in that single verse to describe what happened to Jotham. He ran away, and he fled, and he went to Beer, and he hid out there. As may well have been predicted by anyone of any wisdom and perception, these men of Shechem soon enough discovered the evil tyranny and treachery of their newly crowned imposter king, Abimelech. And without only, verse 22 tells us that within only three years, they had come to hate him and secretly plotted his destruction. Could I say to you that any time villains conspire together, their mutual villainy will soon enough begin like a cancer to eat the innards out of both parties. I said any time villains conspire together, in no time at all, their mutual villainy will begin to eat at one another. They'll despise one another, notwithstanding their supposed camaraderie. To further ensure their fatal demise, we find in verse 23 that we looked at on last week that God sent an evil spirit. A spirit of contention and corrosion. 
God sent an evil spirit. Again, we saw last week the spirit of hatred so festered within them that it finally erupted in open declarations of hostilities. We read it this morning. They set liars in wait to rob and pillage and create a general mayhem in Abimelech's government and if possible even to take him and take his life. Such is the state of these when we find them in our record. All that was needed more to final this treachery was a leader, a single champion around whom the fires of their seething hostility could collect and open war could be waged. This we saw last week. This our God furnished them in the person of this man, God. This true Canaanite, this vain, self-indulging, boasting son of Hamar, verse 28, God. He threw himself forward and we saw that with almost instant success, these men of Shechem put their confidence in him. I felt somehow in reflection on the message last week, I hadn't said enough about that, but I'll not take it back up this morning. Oh, how quickly men will throw their confidence behind some vain boaster. And they did. But oh, the folly of hasty allegiance to a hot air inflated fool. We saw then in the message last week and in those verses that hot air was his greatest and only asset. <laughs> My mind. One can hardly help but to think of our day. Hot air was his greatest and only asset, as we shall soon see. Under the influence of wine, we saw last week in that text, under the influence of wine and drunk already with his own prideful ambition, he belts out his loud boasts in verse 28 and 29. Who is Abimelech, he said? Who is Shechem? We should serve him. Is not he the son of Jerubbabel and Zebel his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. For why should we serve him? Would to God this people were under my hand, he said in verse 29. Then would I remove Abimelech? And he said to Abimelech, Increase thine army and come out. I say it again, under the influence of wine and drunk on his own prideful ambition, he belts out this boast. Come on out here and fight with me. 
But now that brings us to our place here this morning. No sooner has this loud mouth, empty headed fool uttered his folly than his boasts have been heard. Verse 30. And when Zebel, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaul, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled. No sooner had he spoken than his words were heard. Zebel, this man Zebel, we find was quite obviously the local authority that had been appointed by Abimelech in his absence. Call him a governor, call him a chief, call him whatever you will. He was the man that Abimelech had appointed to oversee the city and people of Shechem in his absence, to rule in his stead while he himself was away. When this gall came with his bold boasting and his outrageous threats, Zebel recognizes immediately that this is not only a traitor to his master, but an inevitable enemy to himself and his own household. You notice in verse 28, when he's boasting under the influence of wine, he refers to Zebel. He's cursing Abimelech, but then he refers not only to Abimelech, but he says, and Zebel, his officer. So Zebel recognizes very quickly that he is and will be a great enemy. Well then, this threat cannot be left unanswered. He will not confront Gaul openly. We read the record this morning. The threat cannot be left unanswered, but he will not confront Gaul openly, being as he is himself, a man without honor. But rather he sent messengers, verse 31 told us, to Abimelech. And did you notice that word, privily? If you have an old King James version of the Bible, you'll notice there's a marginal note there at that word, privily. The old King James translators suggested other translations the word they have in your margin craftily <laughs> craftily this word privily here in this text this is the only place that is used in all of the Old Testament and it means to deceive or to beguile treachery and deception of the highest order seems to pour out like a flood at every line in this painful history. Treachery and deceit. Hot blood and corrupt morals. Sinister motives and rampant villainy. All are features most prominent in these doings. And why? Could I just pause your heart? To ask the question why? 
as we'll read on and as we shall see on in the rest of this record in this chapter, villainy and treachery and evil just pours out seemingly almost out of every line and one has to pause and say, why? Why is it like this? Can I answer from the scripture? Only this, because of Israel's carnal appetite their insatiable appetite to have someone rule over them besides God. Somebody to rule over them besides God. You remember what Gideon had said to this people before he died. They said, be our king. You and your sons after you and their sons after them. Be our king. And Gideon said, no, 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 I'll never be your king. My sons will never be your king. God is your king. Jehovah is your king. But these people, these people won't have it. They have an insatiable appetite to have anybody but God to rule over <clears throat> Can I just say to you this morning, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Men will do anything. Anything. Anybody is better than God to rule over them. They will not have it. And so all this treachery, all this villainy, what's the purpose? They wanted a king, so they, they raised up and appointed Abimelech. And now that won't do. And now they've got another man. They've got God and that won't do. What's wrong with them? They just won't have God rule. We will not have this man rule over us, the scripture says. So then Zebel, Zebel, as our record unfolds covertly, craftily, privily, Zebel sends off his messengers to the place of Abimelech, saying in verse 31, Behold, Gaul, the son of Ebed, and his brethren be come to Shechem. Behold, they fortify the city against thee. That is, they stir it up. They excite it. The Hebrew word, the Hebrew word literally means to excite. Men come to cities to stir things up, don't they? To excite. He said, Gaul, this man Gaul has showed up in the city and he brought his brethren with him and they've come to stir up the city against thee. Now therefore, get up tonight, thou and the people that are with thee, and wait in the field. Get up and wait in the field. It shall be that in the morning as soon as it's sun is up, thou shalt rise early and set upon the city and behold, when he and the people that are with him come out against thee, then mayest thou do to them as thou shalt find occasion. So Zebel sends off to the messengers to Abimelech, and the result is that Abimelech, in verse 34, Abimelech rose up, verse 34, and all the people that were with him by night, they laid in wait against Shechem in four companies. Can we just pause here in these scenes for a moment? 
and take this in. All oh, the treachery. As I've said already in verse 27, those who only recently were willing to participate with Abimelech and they even financed him in the wholesale murder of his brothers. <laughs> now, they're crying out for his blood. Now, only seven verses later, he is setting himself ready to murder them. Oh, setting himself in battle formation against the very men whose favor he recently curried, whose praise he recently accepted, whose money he recently took and covenanted with them. Seven verses later, he's in battle formation to kill them all. All the treachery. The treachery. Treachery has no friends. Did you know that? Dear old Bush and his commentator said, those who are rebels themselves ought not to expect faithfulness from their like-minded associates. And in another place, I like this, dear old Bush, like this, in another place, Bush said, where iniquity is breakfasting, calamity is sure to dine for supper. Where iniquity is breakfasting, calamity is sure to dine for supper. So Zebel's plan is set out. Abimelech has received his dispatch and acted swiftly. In his count, on his counsel. And at the close of verse 34, the trap is set. He's lying in wait in four companies. All that remains now is to wait. Wait for the morning light. If I may just but pause here again in the narrative. There's here a good word of counsel from our own beloved Rogers in 1625. Zebel is Abimelech's inferior. You understand that. I said to you, he is chief or governor or whatever you want to call it of this, this tribe and this city. Shechemites, but he was put there and appointed by Abimelech. Abimelech <clears throat> is his superior. <clears throat> Zebel is Abimelech's inferior, but here in verse 34 we find that he's willing to take good counsel even from an inferior. <clears throat> I couldn't but think of the words of Luke chapter 16 and verse 8. I fear that the children of this world 
are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Oh, how often we won't take good counsel or even seek it. We who are children of light, Abimelech, that wicked, murderous pagan, puts us at times to shame here. Oh, if I may, just a word to those of us here with gray hair in our temples. Let us never grow so wise in our own conceit that we will turn away from wisdom from the least of Christ's little ones. Oh yes. We often would despise wisdom if it comes from an inferior. But Abimelech didn't. And men... Could I speak with our hearts this morning? Men, let me counsel you to shun not the wisdom which our God gives to our weaker vessels, our women. <laughs> oh, how greatly did King David benefit from it. You remember the story? I won't read it this morning for sake of time. You remember the story in 1 Samuel chapter 25? David approached to try to receive bread and sustenance for his men. First Samuel 25, and of course he was turned away with cursings. But blessed be God, Nabal's wife heard about it. You read the story, First Samuel 25. And behind his back she sent Messengers to David to appease him. His anger, he said, I'll kill them all. I'll just destroy all of them and I'll take everything they've got. All we asked was for something to eat, <clears throat> something to drink. And they've refused us in our day of hour of need. We'll destroy them all. Get the men together. And in the background, Nabal's wife was working. She was Sent messengers to David to appease his anger. Sent food. It said essentially, please, please, please. Forgive my husband. Forgive us. Let us help you. <laughs> oh, David, 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 David. Bless the Lord for this woman's good counsel. In that chapter in verse 32, look what David said about her. And David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Thank God for a godly woman with wisdom. Well, how much better would we men be if we would listen to them? David did, and he blessed the Lord for I said, I'll tell you what dear old Roger said in 1625. He said, and what lost David by hearkening to the counsel of a woman? Nay, 
he blessed God highly for it himself. But such is the foolish pride of men, not only in matters of the world, but even in spiritual and heavenly things, that we think it be utter discredit and shame to confess ourselves to be defective or unable to manage every business that pertains to us. Isn't that how we are, men? <laughs> We're ashamed to admit that something we can't handle. Wouldn't be willing to listen to a woman. <laughs> it were, he said in 1625, it were to be wished that this folly only bound to the hearts of youthfuls like Rehoboam. And not as well in ancient years, whose commendations it ought to be to show forth the example of staidness and wisdom to the younger sort, but if they be neither able to advise themselves nor willing to be advised by others, what remains but even the heathen poet condemned them to be miserable. Therefore be glad of the counsel. Be glad of the counsel for soul or body and make much of it. The time may come when it will be precious and desired when for want of it the body's turned into prison and beggarly and rags and the soul many turned and plunged into hell for a lack of counsel, lack of taking counsel. Oh, learn this morning, my friends. Pause here in this record and learn, young and old alike, learn from pagan Abimelech to take counsel. Take counsel. Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27. Verse 9 says, Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. So doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. Learn. Learn from this pagan to take counsel. There are here in this text other lessons that we may learn even from these pagans. I haven't the time to linger on each, but I will share with you just for your contemplation later some of them. I've mentioned first of all already learn to take counsel. But I'll give you a second lesson from these pagans. Be willing to stay up late and rise up early for warfare. Zebel sent a message to Abimelech. He said, don't go to bed at night. Don't spend the night lazing around. Get up. Get your men. Get them in place. Get them ready. You're going to need to stay up late, Abimelech. And you're going to need to get up early. Boy, in America, we love our company. I mean, comfort is king. That is the first consideration in nearly everything we think about. My comfort. Learn from this pagan king. 
to be willing to stay up late and rise up early for warfare. Thirdly, I told you I don't have time to spend with this. Gaul, in verse 35, gets up early to watch. Verse 35, he got up. Gaul, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entering of the gate of the city. As soon as the sun was up, he got up and he went out to look. Pagan. I wonder... How early do we rise to look? First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that are drunken, are drunken in the night. Let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, helmet, foreign helmet, hope of salvation. Learn from these pagans to watch. Get up early and watch. There are many others. I don't have time this morning to cover them. So now in verse 35, Gaul rises early, sets out to watch. Goes outside the city gate and he's looking to see if his drunken challenge might not have somehow precipitated an unwanted invasion. And it did. Talk about morning after regrets. <laughs> Boy, he's having morning after regrets. He got full of wine, puffed his chest out, and started bellowing out his brags. And now it's the morning after, and he's looking to see if anything came up. Hmm. Sure enough, in the night, he has fallen victim to the treachery of his friend. And Abimelech is on the march. He looks, he sees, but yet more treachery will render him Vulnerable. Verse 35, Gaul, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entering of the gate of the city. And Abimelech rose up and the people that were with him from lying in wait. And when Gaul saw the people, and he said to Zebel, standing beside him, his comrade, man is running the city, over which he has now pronounced himself to be the head, he saw the people and he said to Zebel, Behold, there come people down from the top of the mountains. Do you see them yonder? Can you see them? There's people coming down there. And Zebel said unto him, Thou seest the shadows of the mountains as if they were men. He knew fine well they were men. They were men he had ordered. 
but he lies. I said treachery runs out of every line in this record. Gaul rises early and sets out to watch to see if his drunken challenge might not have somehow precipitated an unwanted invasion. And sure enough, he's fallen victim to the treachery of a friend of Abimelech. Of a friend's evil and Abimelech is on the march. He looks, he sees, and yet he's made vulnerable. Because Zebel stalled him. They're marching. Zebel stalls. Zebel, under the guise of a comrade, tries to convince him there is no danger. You're just seeing the shadows on the map. Nothing there. Hmm. Oh, can we not see a model here. Surely in this record, in this history, we find the reality of the truths of the words of Romans 15 and verse 4. These things are written for our admonition. Because this is a model of the reality that the arch enemy of our souls, the Father of all treachery, the master of all deceit, the devil himself will surely tell the sinner there is no danger. There's no danger. You're upset over nothing. There is no hell to be avoided. There is no heaven to be attained. There is no God to answer to. All of your worries are foolish and vain. You wasting your time. There's nothing there for him. That's what the master deceiver would tell the sinner. Blessed old Fawcett in his commentary said, Satan tries to persuade sinners hell is but a shadow. What did, what did Zebel say? To Gaul, he, when he said, I see people coming, he said, no, 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 no. It's just shadows. It's nothing but shadows. The gospel comes to the sinner's heart and says there's a righteous God. You'll give an account. There'll be an eternity to pay. And the devil comes and says, that's nothing but shadows. It's a bunch of lies. Don't worry about it. Fawcett said Satan tries to persuade sinners hell is but a shadow without a substance. Then he taunts those whom he has tempted. They will learn too late as God did the fatal eternal error of his lies. Oh my friend this morning. If you get nothing else out of this message get this I pray. Don't fall for the lies of Satan. There's a heaven to be gained. There's a hell to be shunned. There's a God to be met. There's an answer to be given. God holds your soul in His hands. And some lying evil will come up and say, it's nothing but shadows. They're trying to scare you.
So now gall lingers too long. He hesitates under the stupor of Zebel's lying influence until at last, in verse 37, he knows now, he knows what he said. Gaul spake again and said, See there! See there! There come people down the middle of the land! They're no longer, he's no longer looking at mountains and shadows. Remember there was four companies. Four companies. And he keeps looking and he says, oh no, oh no, these are not shadows. There's men and they're coming down through the middle of the land and there's another company coming from another direction. Oh no, these are real men and they're coming, coming. And so what does Zebul do? Verse 38. Then said Zebul to him, Where is now thy mouth, big boy? Where's that big mouth of yours? Didn't you say, Who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Is not this the people that thou hast despised? Go out, I pray you now, and fight with them. Hmm. 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 Oh, what does Zebul say in response to his sudden realization of his danger? He mocks him. He makes fun of him. <laughs> Where's your mouth, big boy? Thought you said last night. Told him to get his arm in come. Well, guess what? There he is. He's coming. Sharper than a knife stabbed into his breast. More burning than a fiery brand plunged into his heart. More stinging than the poison of a dreadful adder. Zebul drives home to God's heart his own words. Didn't you say? Well, big man, here he is. Go get him. <laughs> Show yourself to be a man who can use his sword as well as he uses his tongue. Where is your mouth? Blessed Bush said, if he had been half so valiant as he was vigilant, it might have gone better with him. But alas, as he, as is always with vain boasters, he's a weak coward. Grew up in the country. I don't always, I don't even often use personal illustrations in my preaching, but I grew up in the country. Out in the country, everybody's got dogs. Every family's got dogs. They serve a purpose. They're not just for something to spend money on. And as a little bitty boy, my daddy taught me, when you drive up in somebody's yard and the dog comes yapping, 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 running all over the place, why, don't worry about that dog. You better be on the lookout for that one. Sitting quietly somewhere. He's not yapping. The dog dangerous. The dog hurts you. Taught me that as a young boy. You don't usually have to worry about the dogs when they're yapping. 
They're full of hot air. They're probably wagging their tail. And so here's Gaul challenged with his own words. Someone has said in his commentary, here's Bramble fighting with Bramble. You remember the fable? Bramble fighting with Bramble. It seems the villainy never ceases to flow in this passage. Villainous gall has inflamed the people against their bloody chosen king. The vain boaster has exposed himself and all of Shechem to certain destruction. Zebal has plied his cunning craft and now he mocks his helpless victim. Oh, the ceaseless treachery that's on display in this passage. What a terrible calamity has God's sin of boasting brought on all the city. Roger said, this boasting of gall, which was mere froth and words without substance, and so gross that Zebel, being servant to Abimelech, could not bear it, we may see the shamefulness of this sin of bragging, which none can abide. Or here willingly. Oh, may God humble our hearts this morning to esteem others higher than ourselves. Bragging. Boasting. I don't have the time this morning. I hoped I would. I don't have the time, but I don't want to waste your time. Go this afternoon and look at 1 Kings chapter 20. Read that chapter. You'll find the story of a man boasting. He sends word to the king of Israel says, send me your gold and your silver and your wives and your children. Send me all of it. And the king says, alright. He agrees, I'll send it to you. So the next day, he sends again and he says, no. He says, I'm going to come and I'm going to take everything. And he shared that with the elders of Israel. And they said, no, no, oh no. No, we're not going to do that. Tell him no. So he sent word and he said, no, we're not going to do that. And so this king boasted and said, I'll come down there and I'll take everything. But the angel of the Lord showed up and said, no, no. They're not going to do that. I'm going to help you. And you're going to destroy these people. And they did. Vain boasters. We do well to be humble. James chapter 3 and verse 3. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ship, which though it be so great, they're driven and driven with fierce winds, yet they're turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listed. Even so the tongue is a little member, and it boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a 
little fire kindle it. The tongue is a fire, verse 6. A world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defiles a whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is on set on fire of hell. The tongue. The tongue boasters. Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. Read it for yourself. Oh, I say, I say it again this morning. Treachery is everywhere in the scenes of this record. Gaul seeking to overthrow Abimelech. Gaul, in an alcoholic rage, seeking to overthrow Abimelech. Abimelech in all his murderous treachery. Zebel, cowardly ruler, deceiving, seeking to destroy Gaul. And both of them, by the way, when they walked out that gate that morning, they were in league together. One is Abimelech's appointed governor. The other is the newly appointed ruler over the people. And they're supposed to be in league together, at least publicly. But they're enemies at heart. And they're constantly seeking the mastery over each other. And yet, both of them are plainly actually serving the same master, aren't they? They're both working for the devil. Their father, the devil. Bear with me to hear Rogers just one more time today. He said they all fetch their wiles out of one budget. Now follow him. And they fetch their arrows out of one quiver. Here's a bimble. I mean, here's, here's Zebel. Here's Gaul. They walk out there that day and they're supposed to be in league together. But they're actually enemies. And one has already plotted the other's destruction. But they seem to be walking together, don't they? Walk out there that morning. Roger said they all, they both, fetch their wiles out of one budget and their arrows out of one quiver. Either subtlety or force is their weapon. The slight and treacherous Ahithophel runs to the budget, the cruel, malicious Esau to the quiver, and here lies the point. Who shall draw out the most cunning and take out the sharpest deadly arrow? Both Shoot at the same thing. I mean, they devil, they shoot from the devil's bow. But the skill is, who shall overreach and outshoot the other? Then he brings in this wonderful little parable he wrote himself, I assume. He said, lo, in the meanwhile, both of them serve one master, the devil, and he rejoices as much in the spectacle as Job and Abner did in beholding their young men play. Which ended, as you know, in death cutting each other's throat. If men, he says, in their cursed doings and tradings 
Thus in sin would consider that themselves are sure to go by the laws and forfeit their soul. Yea, if they considered that their quarrels served to no other end but to make a pageant for the devil to laugh at. If they could see into the issue that he who winneth winneth hell and he who loseth loseth heaven. The gains are only Satan's. We got this war going on in our country right now, though. And we got Democrats and we got Republicans and we got folks on this hand trying to cut the throats of those folks. Those folks trying to cut those folks' throats and everybody's at war and the devil's laughing at it all because all of them are going in the same direction. They're going the same direction. He puts the case in a parable. The same ship upon the sea. He says, imagine a ship. Two men are walking contrary steps to each other on the ship. They're walking in opposite directions. The cross and, and the one crossing the other in their motion. Doth not the ship carry them both one way? <laughs> you see it? They may be walking contrary ways. They're on the same ship and it's only going one way. Can they resist the motion of the ship wherein both of them sail? Even so, all sin hath one motion. Though sinners move diversely, let them strive each against one another never so eagerly. Both must yield to the one motion. Their sin will bring them both to hell. Prodigal man walks with quiet, adverse steps to covetousness. But his steps tend to hell. One man seeks to overthrow another. So that the closer and deeper the one is above the other, the sooner he may subvert him. But a subtler than both of them goeth beyond them and will at length overreach them both. And hell shall be their lot. You hear me? Men may be on contrary positions. They may be using their subtlety, their lies, their inventiveness to further their personal cause. It really doesn't matter which one prevails. They're both on the same ship, serving the same master. Read it for yourself, verse 39. Gaul went out before the men of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. Abimelech chased him and he fled before him and many were overthrown, wounded, even to the entering of the gate. The same Zebel who pretended loyalty and encouragement and support to Gaul in verse 38 now throws him out. Came to pass, he threw him out. 
Now he throws him out. He didn't have the strength of character to kill him himself, which he should have done. Or even turn him over to Abimelech, which he could have done. He did neither of those. All he did was throw him out of the city. More treachery. More treachery. But there's more. There's more in this record. God willing, next week we'll take it up again. Turn with me, if you will, please, in your hymn book to number 462 and stand with me and sing. 462, God of mercy, God of grace, hear our sad repentance song. Oh, restore thy suppliant race, thou to whom our praise belongs. 462. Standing place. God of mercy, God of grace, hear our sad repentant songs. Oh, Thou to whom our praise belongs Deep regret for follies past Talents wasted, time misspent Hearts debased by worldly cares Thankless for the pressing rain, foolish fears and fond desires, vain regrets for things as vain, lips to seldom talk to praise. All to murmur and complain. These and every secret fault, filled with grief and shame, we all humbled at thy feet we lie, seeking pardon. God of mercy, God of grace, hear our sad repentant songs. Oh, restore thy suffering grace, thou to whom my praise belongs.